Hello, you're listening to the Solid Word Bible Church podcast. Whether you're at work, driving in your car, or getting your workout on, we hope and pray that what you hear today will fill your spirit. Come, join us as we walk through God's Word together. Let's pray. Father, thank you that in you that there is true hope. Father, it's a word that we sometimes miss the deep meaning of. And I pray this morning that you would help us to dive into Scripture to see what you mean, what you say, and how we can rest in the hope of the coming of Christ. We ask you this in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to take you actually through a journey, three three areas I want you to focus on. Number one, when we talk about the hope of Christ in, in the coming of Christ, you have to start with the, the whole need for hope in that we were one hopeless. We look at what hope means, but that we were, we were all of us were hopeless. And we can talk about that, that we live in a world right now. We're in a world um, that many are hopeless. Suicide rate is increasing in all ages, in all walks of life, and all economic stratus. Hopelessness is there. People said one of the things that the pandemic did is that it brought hopelessness. No. One of the things that the pandemic did is that it revealed that those things that we thought were what we would be hopeful in could not bring hope, as we're going to see. But number one, that we were hopeless. Two, that there is counterfeit hope. There are things that we are hoping in that are counterfeit. And for many of us, we only realize that once we get there and we realize it's not bringing the hope we thought to. And then the last one will be genuine hope. So we'll be looking at how we were hopeless, how we can bank on a counterfeit hope, and that how we can be settled by genuine hope because of the coming of Christ. And so that first one, Ephesians chapter 2, we know this one well. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. Thought I had it marked, so just bear with me for a second. And if you have it up there, it says, remember, Paul, again, in his talking to, we know, setting up in the book of Ephesians, in his letter, he gives our position in Christ. And then the last three chapters, because of our position, he talks about what our practice would be. But he's reminding them, the Ephesian believers, he's reminding them of something that sometimes I think we all forget. He says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. Now, hold on from right there. That alone is enough just to give you the picture. Separated from Christ, but he leans in because he wants you to realize your state before Christ. You were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. I'm sorry, if that's not a picture of hopelessness, what is? Can we go back? You couldn't claim anything. You had no savior, no one to come and rescue. 
You were alienated from that group that God had called out, made a promise to, set up that they would be the ones to represent him and to proclaim him to all the world. You are strangers to all the covenants and promises. And I know we like to have our little promise boxes and we, we open the word of God and we want to claim the promises, but none of them apply to you when you are separated from Christ. Zero. You couldn't claim a thing. And there's some today that are outside of Christ that are trying to claim promises that are not theirs. That's like someone trying to claim a benefit of your family and they're not in your family. That's like someone trying to come and, 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 and sit down at Thanksgiving at your table and they don't belong to the family. You may be like, yo, bro, why are you here? It just reminds me of a crazy story. In New York, they had this thing when you were going from um, from some of the more residential areas to the subway where there was limited bus or, you know, limited bus service to get to the subway. My parents had lived in one of those areas, and you wouldn't think that in Brooklyn. They had these guys that back at the time were called dollar cabs, and what they did, they ran along the bus line, and they picked up people and and you would just pay that dollar and you would and they would drop you off at the subway and you would beat the bus cuz the bus could n- never be as fast as a car with 5 to 6 people in it get to the subway in a fraction of the time and so they would stop in the bus stops you know blow the horn and you would get in until the car was full, and then they went and they did that all morning because they did it in the rush hour both ways. Only problem was it wasn't legal. And the only reason why it wasn't legal is because New York City could not get revenue from them. So it was a tax-free service. Not only that, the bus line, the Metropolitan Transit Authority was losing money because all those people that would have been on the bus were in them cars. And yes, I was one of them. Because the bus was just too slow. That's what I reasoned in my mind. And God started messing with me later. But so they would pick you up. And then they got to the point where they knew that if they blew the horn, that the city had under, you know, had had plain clothes cops that would pull them over, and so you wouldn't blow the horn. You would just pull up into a spot, and people would see it, and then you'd get in if you waited. And so one day, my dad and uh, we had, one of us had to run into the store to get something, so the rest of us were in the car, and he pulls up and stops to wait for them to come back into the car, and of course, someone thought we were one of those cabs, and opens our door and jumps in and sits down. And of course, you know what happened. My father and everyone's in the car turns to him and be like, bro, what you doing? He said, get out of my car. Why? Because he wasn't part of the family. He thought he was. And he would have been doing something illegal. He was trying to illegally be a part of the family. And he couldn't. And so he says, this is not a cab. 
And my dad said, man, get out of my car. <laughs> he didn't even ask his question. Guy opened it up, jumped back out quick. And for some of us, we think outside of Christ, we can claim promises. They're not for you. Hopeless. Understanding what hope is. Hope is not a wish. Hope is not crossing your fingers and saying, man, I wish this happens. Boy, I hope. No, that's not it. Hope, actually, that word is more. It's an ex- it is a confident, sure expectation that something will happen based on some things that are guaranteed. And so when Scripture uses hope, they're saying hope means you are waiting because you expect something to come and to happen. You know it is. You're not wishing. You're not going, maybe. You know. And in our world, the reason we have this hopelessness is because people don't have a surety or a guarantee that the satisfaction that they're looking for, that the life that will be satisfying and settling can be attained. They're wondering, what am I going to do? How am I going to make this work? Or, greater measure, I have no purpose to why I'm doing all of this. All I'm doing is getting up, going to work or to school or wherever, or I'm spending money or I'm earning money and I'm meeting with friends and I'm meeting with groups of people for what? In other words, what's the point? Where is this going? And if you reflect on that long enough, and I've talked to some people, they say, I just don't even think about that because if I think about that, it's hopeless. I'm just doing this, and there's no reason why I'm doing it. Hopelessness. And so then add a global pandemic that shuts the world down. All of the things that we used to distract us from our hopelessness are gone. And all you have is your hopelessness. There's no purpose. There's no meaning. Have you ever asked yourself, why am I doing what I'm doing? And just keep asking yourself that, why? Well, but why? You say, why am I doing this? Because um, I'm wanting to earn a living. Why? So I can take care of my family. But why? So they can have what they need and they can grow. And why? So when I die, they have something left. Why? I mean, do you, do you keep, the issue is if all it is, is about here, you eventually will realize and understand it's hopeless. There's nothing that you are expectantly waiting for. Add into that any debilitating illnesses. Add into that the pain of a job loss or the pain of family strain or the pain of suffering and economic decline. Add on that all the things that are happening in our world and you have no purpose behind that and you see why. There is an inclining rate 
for help in issues of life and quality of life. Hopelessness. He says that you were, <laughs> you were separated from Christ. You weren't a part of the commonwealth. You were strangers to the covenants and the promises. They didn't apply to you. You were without hope. And if that wasn't enough, and without God, you had no protector. You had no one to claim. So that's hopelessness. But then we go from hopelessness to thinking we have hope. Second one is that there's a counterfeit hope. Psalm 33, 7. <clears throat> is it up there for you? I'm just going to use it up there because I didn't turn it fast enough. He gathers... Nope, I had that actually incorrect. It might be 33. Mm, go to the next one. 1 Timothy 6, 17. Can you all read that one out loud, please? Am I in the way? Is it there yet? Read it out loud, please. In that, he says, tell them, charge them. And that word charge, Minister Wright, we know that word charge, firmly admonish. Look, hey, charge. When someone is charging you, they are giving you a stern command. Listen. You ever had your mom and dad go, listen, boy. Listen. Listen, girl. Listen. Let me tell you something. He says, charge them. I love this. As for the rich in this present age, do y'all need any other descriptor than that? Just in case you think that they were spiritualizing this, no, as for the rich in this present age, currently living right now, those that will be classified as rich, and let me tell for some of you guys, depending on where other people live, y'all are rich. As for the rich in this age, the well resource, what does he say to tell them? See, some people would preach, you know, Tell them to get everyone else to try and be rich because that's what God wants for you. What did he tell Timothy to tell folk? He said, tell them not to be haughty because that is a tendency of the rich. Those who are well-resourced tend to think it's about them. I got it. I got my nice ride, car, investment. I got all this stuff set up. And I think um, all that. And the Sam's Club bag of chips. I think I'm all that. I do. And I get haughty. Why? Because I'm well-resourced. He says, tell them not to be haughty. That's the first thing. Tell them. Look, y'all, stop it. Don't be haughty. Second thing that I love, he says, nor to set their hopes. Because that's what happens. Our expectancy is that my wealth will sustain me, keep me, make me happy, set up my future. I don't know how many times I've heard on news when folks have won the lottery, I don't ever have to worry about money again. 
as many of them go bankrupt within five years. Or I don't ever have to worry about getting anything again. Oh, really? You might be spending all of that in medical bills if you get an illness that cannot be dealt with. Or you just may spend it and realize you are bored out of your mind because you have everything you ever wanted and you realize it can't fulfill. Oh, it can get you stuff. Don't get me wrong. And you can have a big old party and there are moments of happiness because you are making it happen. But in the quietness of you and you alone, you realize this ain't it. When the party is done, you are sitting by yourself, you in your 20,000 square foot house. I don't even know how, who, who, what do you do with a house that big? I know, okay, have a lot of people in it um, or have a lot of people clean it. That's all I think about. I was like, who's going to clean this thing? But you have a, he just said, not to set their hopes on the, and this is what I like, the uncertainty of riches. See, for many of us, the counterfeit hope, we think that it is certain. Some of us right now, we are banking on a counterfeit hope that if I just get that next job, I'm going to be happy. Some of us have got that counterfeit hope, if I just finish this degree, if I just get to this next level, if we just move into this next neighborhood, if we just have this next house, if I just get that next dream that I've been waiting for, there is that counterfeit hope that if that is all the purpose of why you are existing, it is going to let you down. It's not saying that you don't use those or that you don't keep those. It's not even saying that you don't shoot for that. That's great, but it's not ultimate. It's actual. In other words, yeah, use it. You got that career? Great. Enjoy. Because it, he says at the, at the end, he says, but you put your hope on God. Why? Who richly provides. I like to play on words there. He says, don't set your hope on riches, but set your hope on the God who richly provides. You want riches? He says, set your hope, your expectation, your confidence for the future on the one who actually provides those true riches, both the ones in this age and the ones in the age to come. He provides it richly. Why? For us to enjoy, because you and I both know those of us who have gained in an ungodly way, you are always looking over your shoulder. You don't believe me? Ask the person who has swindled folk out of their money. They are always concerned that someone will find out. Ask the drug dealer who has, getting, who has gotten paid, looking over his or her shoulder because someone's coming for you all the time. Ask the people that you are, I mean, that you've lied on, and if they find out or if they ever get you in a spot where they can expose you. See, that which has been gotten sinfully always causes you uneasiness. Well, do you say, well, what if I got it righteously? He says, he, he says, understand it was meant for you to enjoy. 
It was not meant to replace the one who gives you things to enjoy. So there's a counterfeit hope. And there's a counterfeit hope of strength and of might, which is what the Psalm one was supposed to be. I actually had that one wrong. Is that you do not put your hope in the strength of a horse. In other words, that talks about military might and status. I'm strong because I got, I got a group. I got a, I got, I got a military. I got a strong nation. God says, don't put your hope there. Because he reminds us that he's the one that sets the boundaries in Acts 17. He says he causes one nation to rise and another to fall. We think it's because of us. God says, no, when I say that that nation's time is up, it's up. When they're at their top, when they're at their bottom, some nations don't even exist anymore. I know we call them sovereign states, but their sovereign is limited. It's really not sovereign. There's only one sovereign and that is God himself. And so he says to us, don't bank on a counterfeit hope. Utilize it. Work within it. But understand, if that is all your life is about, regardless of what it is, if that is all your life is about, it is going to let you down. And you will find yourself somewhere disappointed, thinking about doing something that you should not be doing, or it'll make you desperate to attain it. And then lastly, hopelessness, a counterfeit hope, and a genuine hope. This one is not up there, so don't put that one yet. Romans 15, 4. Romans 15, 4. He says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. See, the issue becomes what God does. In other words, why do we need genuine hope? Because number one, hope will help us to endure. In other words, we will remain with godly approved character as we live through life because life is difficult because of sin. In other words, once man sinned and fell, we, we, we took ourselves into hopelessness because we were separated from God. And so when Christ came, he now brought hope. Why? Because he now made it possible that we could be reconnected with God. But I love this. But we live in a broken world that is separated from God. And so every day you are dealing with separation from God consequences every day. In all that you do, you are dealing with people that don't know God, consequences. You are dealing with, with, with the world that has made decisions repeatedly because they don't know God, and they're getting these consequences because of sin. What happens? And so you are faced constantly. If you are a Christ follower, you are constantly faced with the consequences of sin. 
and you are tempted many times to walk in step with them because the opposition can get really hard. And so it says that it was written, for whatever was written in former days, and as whatever we have right here, was written for our instruction, number one. And we get that in First Timothy, that, 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 hey, Scripture was written. One of the things is so that you would be instructed that through, I love this, endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, you might have hope. Genuine hope comes from God's Word enabled by God's Spirit. That's where genuine hope comes from. Do you find yourself getting hopeless because whatever your current situation that keeps happening, it doesn't seem to change, and you seem to be dealing with the pain of it or the confusion of it or the loss from it? Does that seem to be wearing on you? God says that through the encouragement of the Scriptures, get in his word, you might see where your hope lies. That's why he said you might have hope. Why? Because he's going to take you away from anything temporary, anything that can perish here on this planet, including your health and who you are. He says anything, and he focuses you in the right place so that you keep walking although in pain, although confused, and you may even be dejected or discouraged, that the Scriptures will encourage you as to where you need to be and where you need to go. He says that through endurance, what is endurance? He says that when you know why you're doing it, you keep doing it. We've done that all the time. For you guys that have attained college degrees, don't tell me you were happily skipping through however many years it took you all the time to attain that. There are some days y'all were like, look, but you knew what was in the end. You knew what you were shooting for, what you were trying to attain. For those of you that have had skills in other areas, for those of you who are developing businesses, let me hit my entrepreneurs for a second. You already know some of the hard days, some of the lean times in your business, but you saw the purpose of it and you kept going. You endured. That word endured really means to stand up under the load or under the burden. You endured. What is the burden that God is wanting you to endure? That the hope of Christ through the scriptures will cause you to be hopeful. In other words, you will have a point to it all. For some people, the illnesses that you are dealing with at times, you says, God, I, I, I can't. This is just too much. God says, get in my word. I want you to see that it's not too much. I want to redirect your attention and focus. For some of us financially, God, I just can't. God says, get in the word. I'm going to give you a point. I'm going to give you a reason beyond where you are right now because this can derail you. But if I get you in the scripture and focus your attention, guess what? You're going to hold up under the load, hope. For some of us as family, man, our families are driving us crazy. 
And we go, God, I don't know. God says, let me get you in my word. Focus your attention so that you know how to hold up under this hope. You see why hope is needed. And then we come to this end. First Peter, not the 315, but first Peter chapter one talks about us being that we were given a living hope. Because that hope is not in a thing, that hope is in a person. Jesus did not come, no, I'm sorry, Jesus did not come to bring hope. Hear what I'm saying? Jesus is the hope. See, that's the scene. We thought, no, Jesus, just give me some hope. He's like, give you some hope? You've got me. That is all the hope you ever need. Why? Because he said, I conquered it all, and you are mine. And so he says, focus your attention. I am your hope. That's why we've been born again to a living hope, because the living hope is a living being. Jesus himself is our hope. For some of us, we go, I don't want that. I want you to give me something. Remember what I said last week? We get into that Judas mentality. Judas was with Jesus, but Jesus, <clears throat> being in the presence of Jesus wasn't enough. Actually, what I want you to do, Lord, because you, you see in the Gospels when John talks about him, he talks that he was a thief. He was stealing money. I'm like, you have got Okay, hold on. Didn't you see him multiply these fish and loaves? Didn't you see him overcome? Didn't you see him? But you wanted some money. And we have to be careful. Is the only reason why you want Jesus is because you think that he can give you something? Yeah, I'm, I'm rolling with Christ because I know what he can give me. Well, the first thing that he did give you is eternal life. And then what he gave you is a relationship with him that will last forever. And for some of us, we go, that's not enough. I need more. And I would say you don't understand the nature of those two things that he just gave you. You don't understand it. Because for some people, that's all they had. And they live through their life with it. Am I saying that you need to give everything away so that you can prove that Jesus is all I need? No. But don't let it hang on to you so heavily that if it disappears, that if it goes, that if there's a temporary lapse in having it, you are ready to walk away. You are like, peace, two fingers, I'm out, God. I didn't sign up for this. God says hope. But I want to end this in the story. In the story that is in the gospel. I love reading this all the time because it is, to me, it is not just a Christmas story. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 11. I know we read this many times during the Christmas season. We should read it all the time because of what it does and what it, where it pointed. 
It said, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Let me just stop for a second. Can you, we tend to, we tend to Hollywood eyes. I know that's not a word, but we tend to make this the Hollywood picture. They were out there just as happy tending their flock by night. Okay, understand who they were. Shepherds, one of the lowest economic, you know, stratus folk. They were tending their flock. Last time I checked, flock didn't graze in a dome. They didn't graze in a air-conditioned, properly heated building. They were outside. And at night, I want to be in my bed sleep, not with some smelly sheep. And so here they were. That was their livelihood. And this was so they were in the fields doing what they normally do and understand they were doing it really. The only light they had was a fire that they may have been able to make. It was completely dark. Pitch black. Their flock, the next shepherd, their flock, and the next shepherd, theirs. And this is just what they did every day. I wonder if there was some hopelessness in this. I mean, this is just what they did. They went to work at night, but they also had to work during the day because this was theirs. And for shepherds, the way that you tended, you laid down so that the sheep would not cross over you because they wouldn't. You were the gate. And for many of them at that time, they would, they would, they would, they would lie down right in front and the sheep would not come over. They were on the ground. See, I got... I got talked into helping out some kids camp one time. And just understand, I was not a camper. I I just wasn't. I grew up in Brooklyn, and all of my experience was city. I'm sorry. It it just was. Camping was was not what I did. I wasn't a Boy Scout. I wasn't even a Cub Scout. Didn't do camping. My version of camping was Camp Marriott. Right, Camp Hilton. You know, hey, Camp Holiday Inn. It didn't matter. And so I went camping, and so I had to go get my sleeping bag and my, and so I borrowed it from someone actually here, and I got out, and I went out there, and we were camping in some place east, way east of the city here, way east. And I go to, you know, put my, my pad and my little foam down, and I thought that that would be enough. Now, remember, the shepherds didn't have that. I put my pad down, so we put up the tent. Storm came that night, a bad storm, and thankfully the tent's hell. And I'm in there on the pad, on the foam, and I felt every rock under me. I felt every crevice in the dirt. I probably slept about an hour that night, maybe. The other side that they didn't warn me is that these dudes that have been doing it repeatedly for years, I walk into the tent and they have air mattresses and I was mad. (laughs) I was like, why didn't one of you tell this dude had like a full-size air mattress this thick off the ground? And I was like, really? But I'm on my pad, I'm roughing it. And I thought the shepherds didn't even have that. They are outside tending their flocks, and this was their livelihood. And I love who Jesus, I mean, I love who God announces the coming of Jesus to first are those that many times can seem to have the least hope. 
the ones that none of us think about. Shepherds were not the group that were heralded the most. Understand who he came to. And it says, verse 9, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Ever been out in the country at night? No lights, no street light. All it is is starlight. And this was probably one of the first true fireworks show because the sky was lit up like they have never seen it before. And like any normal person, they weren't like, wow, look at that. They were afraid. Great fear came upon them because the great God was making an entrance. Of course they were afraid. When it said, an angel of the Lord appeared, that was enough for me. I would have passed out. Y'all would have had to tell me what happened after that. But then the whole sky just lit up. Their darkness was changed to bright light physically because spiritually was, what was about to happen was that their darkness would be interrupted by great light in Jesus himself. So God did a physical demonstration of what he was getting ready to do spiritually. And so he gets them in. And so he says, he says, they were filled with great fear. And the angel of the Lord said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. And see, I love this. God enters our darkness. God enters our mundane, helpless marginalized world, he lights it up. And we get afraid because we've never seen it. It can't be this good. This can't be good. And God's representative says, don't have great fear because I came that you would have great joy. And you see the opposites there. He says, why? And it won't just be for you, it'll be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who was Christ the Lord. Hope entered in one of the darkest parts of their literal world. Now, he was born somewhere else, but the, but the announcement came to the marginalized sitting out there doing their mundane, everyday, seemingly hopeless stuff. And God interrupts and changes it. Those shepherds would be changed forever. They saw what the elite didn't even get the opportunity to see. Did you see that? And they'd be like, nah, we, we weren't there. That's right, y'all weren't, because we were out in the field. See, y'all kicked us to the curb, and God came to the curb, which is what he does with the marginalized. Y'all didn't think we were all that, but God came to the they aren't all that. And so God came to the marginalized, but he calls on everyone to come. And so for us today, I love this. Are you hopeless? Let me ask, is it because you're depending on a counterfeit hope or because you have lost sight of genuine hope or you don't have genuine hope? 
Christ is the genuine hope. And if you seem to be veering off and it seems to be hopeless, I'm going to take you to Romans 15. He says, hmm, it was what was written was so that you would be instructed. Why do I need to be instructed? So that as you have the scriptures and you endure through those scriptures, you will. And that might isn't maybe, that might is a surety. You will have hope. See, for the believer, the only way you are hopeless is if you have taken your mind, I'm sorry, you have taken your eyes off of the one who is hope. And you've now start to base your hope on something that is temporary. And because of that, you begin to wane in your passion for Christ. And he's telling you, fix your eyes. Come back. Let me get you in the right space. Because if you are, even though it's painful, even though it may not change, you are still hopeful. And, and if you are hopeful, guess what you'll do? You'll endure. You'll endure if you are hopeful. All of you that knew that you were going to finish, or at least in your mind, whatever it was that you were in the middle of that was extremely hard or painful, it kept you going. In this life, what's going to keep you going? Knowing who Jesus is, knowing who you are in him and what you have in him and where it will end one day. Hope. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that hope, Lord, the hope of Scripture, the, I mean, the hope of life is the Christ that is found in Scripture. Thank you, Lord, that all that was written was to bring us hope, that we would have a sure expectation of what is to come. And so we can deal with whatever is because of what is to come. I pray that we would do that. God, I pray that if we are losing our hope, that we would realize that we have taken our eyes off of hope himself. I pray that you would keep us focused, Lord, in your word, depending on the power of your spirit. God, I pray that whatever is happening around us, we would not let consume us, but we would walk through it and deal with it because of who you are. And this morning, as we begin walking through this Advent season, I pray that indeed our hope, our expectation would lie in you. We need you. We are hopeless without you. And when we are hopeless, Lord, we do dangerous things. We make bad decisions. We walk in unhealthy and toxic ways. And I pray we would ground our hope, our expectation, our sure confidence in who you are. Today, if there's someone, Lord, who does not know you, Father, I pray that they would realize that everything that they're living for that is apart from who you are, God will end up disappointing them. And that they would see your loving, 
your loving heart and actions that have led to them coming to know you and that they would come to know you as Savior. I pray for those that know you, and yet, Lord, their eyes have veered off of you, and they're starting to feel some of the pains of hopelessness. Father, if nothing else changes in their life, may they know that you do not change and you love them, you are there with them, and you are working out your plan for them. You've been listening to the Solid Word Bible Church podcast, and we trust that you've been blessed. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at solidword.org. Thank you for joining us today, and we'll see you next week. Let us not bank on counterfeit hope, but let us depend on genuine hope because Jesus is our hope. In Christ's name, amen.